0: Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless, and welcome back for another episode of Wade for Wireless with all your wireless updates, news, and information. Just sit back and relax. Hey, how you doing? This is Wade with Wade for Wireless. And today I want to talk about Smart City Broadband Initiatives. It's a three-part series because what I hope to do here is take a couple reports that I got and put them together. And I also didn't want to put together one long broadcast. So just for you, I'm going to shorten it down to three parts. Basically, what it is, how we roll it out, and then what you can do. Now, let me tell you that one of the main reports I used was uh, from GigU, Gig U is a coalition of cities and colleges that came together and they put together this awesome report, which I have a link in there. It's gig-u.org if you want to go get it. And Gig U, they're just a, a I don't know exactly why they were created except to perform services to, connect cities and colleges and then they put together a report basically to get broadband out to the cities and that's the key of this whole thing that i did the whole thing that they did is to get broadband out to the cities so everyone can have broadband the big example everybody's been using lately is that the kids have to sit outside the mcdonald's to uh Get their homework done because McDonald's has free Wi-Fi and they don't have any broadband at home. And now, with the way schools are, everything's done on your laptop. Remember when we had books, pencils, and papers? Now they have iPads and laptops, and that's how they get things done. And smartphones, apparently. And apparently now it's expected that everybody has this stuff. I still write things down, by the way, but I can't live without my laptop. In fact, I got two of them sitting in front of me and three monitors. It's just the way business is done now. Anyway. First, I want to thank my sponsors, Tower Tracker Pro, TowerTrackerPro.com. They do closeout packages for tower sites and small cells. They have a step-by-step package that will help you walk through your closeout package so you don't miss anything, miss any pictures, and you can upload it to the cloud so somebody back at the office can verify that everything is done properly before you leave the site. I also want to thank Tower Safety and Instruction, TowerSafety.com towersafety.com, all one word there. And they have Teletech College which is their program for online training. So what they offer, they offer online and on-site and at the school training. Tower Safety and Instruction is an accredited school in the state of Arizona for teaching a trade, like tower climbing, like rigging, like safety, first aid, Red Cross safety, CPR. They also have drone training for tower work. It's drone training especially to guide you through the ins and outs of looking at towers, inspecting towers, and so on with drones. So let's get on with part one of this three-part report. Most people are curious about the broadband initiatives that are out there for cities. and I know I'm usually a wireless guy, but in this case, I just want to talk about broadband in general because we have to get the broadband to the city and rolled out. And again, I've been saying this for a long time. Fiber is a key thing. We still need fiber for the backbone. Uh, We use wireless. Wireless is awesome. But it's really not going to get you to the city. It is going to get you to the last 200 feet, 500 feet, maybe even the last mile, maybe even connect the to towers. But what I'm talking about here is broadband to the city. One of the things that GigU did in their report, which is a great report, by the way, I highly recommend it. Like I said, it's gig-u.org if you want to go download it yourself. It's just a great report. But I want you to pay attention about a lot of cities just think they need broadband and they don't really think it through. So the point of this, they point out the obvious things. However, for colleges and cities, they don't always look at CapEx and OpEx because they're run a little differently. Cities usually rely on tax money. And then they have a project, they roll it out, and so on. Uh, Colleges, on the other hand, raise grant money, and they look at the benefit for the students, but they also have to deal with CapEx and OPEX. CapEx is the money you roll out for the initial, let's say, deployment, installation, the build, if you want to look at it that way. OPEx is your operating expense. CapEx, capital expense. That's what you pay for the initial rollout. OPEx, operating expense. Operating expense is your ongoing expenses for the actual maintenance of the operation. When I say maintenance, I know you're thinking, oh, well, I'll just have one guy run it. Not that easy. Broadband has monthly reoccurring fees for the access to the internet, for laying stuff on the ground. Chances are you have rent on poles. You have to pay. The city permitting should be part of CapEx, but the city may have ongoing fees that they expect you to pay. It's all things that you got to worry about in the cities. When they run this stuff, that's what they're thinking about. CapEx, OPEX has to be lower than the revenue. You want your income to be higher than your expenses. How does that work? In your business plan, and you have to have some idea of what you're going to get for this thing, you have to come up with what you think the value is. There's different plans out there. Uh, I think when you look at this, you have to pay attention to what your value is of the system and where you're going to make money. Unfortunately, I'm like most people. I think you have to run a system and then go all the way to the end user, but you don't. What a lot of these systems are now They'll lay the fiber, they'll lay the backbone, and then they'll rent that to anyone who just wants to provide the last mile connection to the homes, to the businesses, and so on. You can either buy a fiber, rent a fiber, light it up, do what you want, but if somebody else laid it, they want to get paid for it. That is value, the value of it. What you expect to get paid is what your income's gonna be. That's how it's gonna work. The ongoing contracts that you get with these people, let's say if someone signs up and they're gonna connect uh, like every business on whatever block, like on 10 blocks of the city, you have to get them to commit to it, say a five-year, 10-year lease, which when most people do this, they usually commit to a very long-term lease, maybe even a 30-year lease for fiber. That's sustainability. So now you have your income, you know how long it's gonna be, and you know that you can make money off of it. What you have to decide is, are you going to charge more for that? Are you gonna sell it outright and make a profit? Are you going to have the ongoing fees for it? You know How's that gonna work? So again, you want your income to outweigh your expenses. You want your value and profit to outweigh your capex and opex. You wanna make money, that's it, in a nutshell. You wanna make money, you don't wanna lose money. Let's look at the next step. Does it solve a problem for the residents? Because what you're going to think about is what they're going to get for it. What you want to think about is how they're going to actually benefit from it. And if you have their buy-in, why is this important? Listen, if you're a city, taxes are important. You definitely don't want to. Uh, you definitely don't want to have the taxes out of control. Now, when I say buy-in, that's because at the start of the project, you have to make sure that the residents understand it's valuable. So now that you know you're going to make money off of it, you know you can do that. You can't just go out. Well, you can. You can just go out and build it Uh, many times out of work because people really do love broadband. But what you're going to want to do is get the buy-in because there are failures out there. And I bring them up here uh, where people don't have the residents buy-in because you got to understand it depends where you live, who you're working with, and what the residents think. A lot of times, if you don't have the locals buy-in, all they see is like, it's going to cost money, And if we have to spend money, that's evil. We'll just live in the dark ages. We're happy living in caves. You'd be surprised a lot of people have that attitude. They're happy living in caves. They don't want this modern technology of the devil in their homes. They want to live there. They want to watch your cable TV. They're happy, right? Surprisingly, There's a lot of communities like this. That isn't all. That isn't the only reason things fail. The other reason they fail is because a lot of times people don't see value in, say, a city doing this. And there's a lot of different ways cities can raise the initiative. But let's just say now the city's going to take the initiative to either bring in the broadband or partner with a local private company to bring in the broadband. Suddenly... When you're talking about competition, you have companies like AT&T and the local cable company that get angry. They're like, the residents are fine with their cable TV. They don't want internet access. I bring up that Cox actually said that. Uh, An executive from Cox thought they were fine the way it was. That is until they got competition and started getting crushed. Then suddenly, hey, we're going to put in like half a billion dollars to upgrade our network because that is what the people want. The people always wanted that. They just thought that they could drive the market the way they wanted to, and they could for years. See, the thing about the cable company's mentality is they had a a monopoly on a lot of neighborhoods. They still do. You know, it's and the reason is, is because what competition do they have, you could try wireless, but you're going to pay a fortune to get a Verizon or even a T-Mobile with their unlimited plans. And it's going to be hard to watch video off that on your main TV. It just is. Trust me, it'll get there someday. 5G is supposed to change all that. Anyways, I digress. Apologies. Back to what we were talking about. And that is getting broadband to the city. So we're going to lay this out in such a way that it's a business, no matter who does it, but the cities have to want it to happen. I'm going to look at a couple business cases, like I said, if the city's going to roll it out themselves, which has been done successfully, and it also has been done unsuccessfully. They have a lot of things to think about, and they have to come up with a business plan, and they have to get out of thinking like a city, but what's good for the residents and how they're going to profit from it. Because in today's world, you can't just rely on tax money to pay on it, pay for everything. Although it's been done, it's you know not generally a popular point of view when the taxes have to support a program like this, when it should be self-supportive. Let's face it, it should be. So what we need is internet access. Most residents want internet access. It's just a matter of how you get it to them and how you get their buy-in. Are they gonna get it off the local cable company? Which I do. That's the only choice I really have. I mean, I I have Verizon here. They're not reliable. Where I live, I live in the suburbs. You know what I mean? But you had other cities that do have it everywhere and it really should be made available to residents. So let's look at the different... uh, Options here, and let's look who has done what. The cities can either build their own system or you can partner with somebody like Google Fiber did. Now, Google Fiber was supposed to be the knight in shining armor, but I'm I'm talking about this in um, November of 2017, which, if you follow the news at all, Google Fiber pretty much quit laying fiber. So it's no longer really Google Fiber, is it? It's just Google something. So Google Fiber was supposed to be the knight in shining armor that we all thought would bring fiber to the city. Well, when Google Fiber started laying fiber, Google Fiber realized that there's a lot of competition out there. And I use Nashville as an example. When they started connecting to poles, well, you had AT&T and you had the local cable company, which I want to say is Comcast, not sure. All of a sudden they had a fight in their hands. They weren't allowed to attach to the poles. They weren't allowed to do this. They weren't allowed to do that. They had the legal battle after legal battle. Now, here's the thing. The city was on their side. The city fought to get Google Fiber fiber there. And the city thought it would be wonderful to have more competition and have Google Fiber in their city because people love Google Fiber. It's Google. Who doesn't love Google, right? Google's fun. Google thought they would profit. Well, suddenly Google realized it's work. You're not sitting at a laptop just typing in a search item. You're out there deploying. You got to pay people to deploy. You got to fight to get on every poll. You got to struggle. It's a struggle. Google doesn't want to struggle. Struggles are hard. Who wants to struggle? So they quit. <laughs> anyway, it was just very frustrating for me because I really had a lot of faith that Google would make changes. Now, with that said, Google did roll out successfully in several cities, and I know I, I'm sort of being a, a sort of being a shithead here talking about it because I'm a big fan of Google Fiber when they came out, and I guess I'm a little disappointed they quit. But I get it. It's work. It's work. AT&T and Verizon have both laid out their, you know, their Fios and what, what's AT&T, AT&T and uh, oh, hell, I forget what at and T's system was. But, you know, they both competed with cable companies, they did the best they could, and they were warmly received. Because quite frankly, up until about a year or two ago, the cable companies were just crappy. They didn't care about the people, they didn't care about their subscribers, they didn't care about customer service, because they're the only game in town, take it or leave it. Now things are changing. Now we can watch TV on the internet. We don't need cable. In fact, cable's a pain in the ass a lot of times. So what do we do? We have Amazon Prime. We have Apple TV. We have uh, Netflix. We can watch what we want, when we want, where we want. We have YouTube TV, for heaven's sake, which is pretty awesome. All those are awesome. I'm a big fan of Prime. I'm a big fan of YouTube TV, and I'm a big fan of Netflix. So there so there, why why go anywhere else? You have internet access, you can watch what you want, when you want, where you want. It isn't like you're tied to your home or your big screen TV. And now with the millennials, they watch everything on a small device anyway, including me. I sit in my Kindle and watch movies on the plane that uh, that I get from Amazon Prime. That's why I'm a big fan. They do right. And that is why I love broadband. But I think the cable companies are getting it. They realize they can't just tell us us the subscriber what we're going to get they have to give us the subscribers what we want took them a while to do that so the other thing they're beginning to realize is that they can scale back tv people can watch tv anywhere any device they certainly don't need a cable box although if the cable box had more interfaces which comcast is doing with their x1 platform and in xfinity you have a little more choice You have options, which is what they really had to do. They had to give us all options. Okay, so where was I? Oh, yes, economic development. (laughs) Now that I'm off my tangent and my soapbox, let's talk about economic development. Broadband in today's world, today's world, 2017 going forward. Economic development is going to be built around broadband. Broadband is an introduction to new business, new interface, ways of learning, schooling, everything. We're going to rely on broadband, like I said, not only for TV, but for learning. Kids at school are going to rely on this for learning. Kids in college are going to rely on this for learning. Me at home, trying to learn how to paint a a certain way on my house. I'm going to rely on YouTube to teach me for me at home. Working on plumbing issues, carpentry, trying to figure out how to get my landscaping to look just a little bit better and how to kill those damn weeds out back. I'm going to rely on YouTube. It's just the way it is. So that is why we need broadband. That is why it's going to be good for economic development. and For people like me that sell books online through Amazon and through Gumroad and through Sellfy. I rely on this to make a living for pe- for heaven's sakes, people. I need this. And you know what? I'll bet I'm not the only one. I'll bet there's a lot of people out there that need it. Economic development. My economics needs this development. (laughs) It just does. I'm just pointing out the facts because a lot of people rely on the internet. Look how many of you are listening to this or reading the blog, hopefully. Reading the blog and listening to this. I would appreciate that. And if you are doing it, thank you. There's a lot of dinosaur companies that don't get this. They still want you to come to the office and travel and commute and all that and trust me there's a lot of them but there's a lot of businesses that need you to go places take medical workers you know in a hospital take police they have to be out they're relying on this to do their jobs yes public safety definitely relies on this to do a job and to do a job and that's where we're at with this what we're trying to do is not only have economic development but have a foundation for all businesses to use this, no matter what you do or where you go. So let's look at the three models we can look at for cities. The city can take the primary lead and roll out the the, the, the broadband themselves, the fiber, uh, the, the the wireless, the access, things like that. They can do it all themselves. You want an example of this? this is Chattanooga, Tennessee, their network. In 2010, the city decided to have a gigabit network available for homes. How awesome is that? A gigabit per second at your home. Rolled it out. And what, what happened? Did it pay off? Well, of course it paid off. Now they have Volkswagen in their city, which is awesome, a car manufacturer, which probably gave jobs to a lot of those people that you know, said, I want to live in a cave. I don't want broadband, but I do want to work at Volkswagen because it pays well and has benefits. Also, Amazon put a warehouse in there. You know why? Because they have broadband. They could fulfill orders. They could do things they couldn't do before. And again, they hired a lot of local people. Between those two companies, they gave a lot of jobs there in Nashville. I'm sorry, they're in Chattanooga, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So it did pay off. The city did what they had to do. So their model served well. They had the balls to move forward, make it happen, and they were able to serve as models for other cities like Wilson, North Carolina, and Leverett, Mass. So they also talk about, in that GigU report, it talks about Amman, Idaho, who also built a gigabit backbone. They decided to provide provide a gigabit backbone because the local telco would not spend any money. This is a common story in many cities. And this is what I was saying about the cable companies. In this case, it was a local telco. So the city was worried because they would need 50% of the market share to make it pay for itself. 50%. The local telco owned the local market and they needed 50% to make it profitable. Did they do it? Could they do it? Are you on the edge of your seat? Guess what? They got 70% of the market share, 70% because the incumbent got lazy When the incumbents get lazy, you know what happens? You have a great opportunity to roll out. Not a good opportunity, a great opportunity. They did 20% better than expectations. And what that means to the city is it was a success and it was profitable and everything worked in the right way. Now, let's look at Huntsville, Alabama, who owns the electric utility. The electric utility provided them with the means and the foundation to deploy broadband quickly with an experienced player. So what they did... It's a good plan here. They put in the backbone and then they build all the fiber for the backbone. And what they do, they leased it to Google Fiber. Google Fiber could do the last 200 feet to the home or whatever it is. You know, let's say last mile, last 200 feet, last 500 feet. So it's a win-win. Google Fiber didn't have to deal with deploying all the fiber across the city. Suddenly they have a backbone that they can tap onto to get to the homes Everyone wins. Google Fiber pays the city. The city makes money. The city's fiber deployment is a success because they have the utilities in place that they could actually roll it out using existing. They could use existing poles, use existing assets. They could use existing workers. They had everything in place. They own a utility. Why wouldn't they do that? It just makes sense. Google Fiber, why would they waste the money to deploy when they can just pay them rent and get it right to the home and pay it as they use it, pay it as they need it? It's beautiful a utility, an income plan, a customer. Why wouldn't you do that? It's amazing. And they got Google Fiber to their city. Is that awesome or what? If you're interested in that, there's more at gru.com. I actually have the link in there. If you want to Google it, it's gru.com, C-O-M, fiber, F-I-B-E-R, optics, O-P-T-I-C-S. Just, you know, you can Google that or just go to gru.com and look for it. I mean, it's really a a great success story. Finally, let's look at Santa Monica, California. They put out their network with the municipal department, and they did it by connecting public facilities first. What's a public facility? It's a city building. The cities have buildings everywhere, everywhere, police stations. They have welfare offices. Well, I, I say welfare, but you know what? They have social workers everywhere, social working offices. They have they have the town hall. They have the city hall. They have all this crap all over city that they're trying to serve the residents as best they can. So that's what they did. They connected all the city buildings. Then they probably tried to get, expand it from there. So they were very smart about it. They have a dig once policy. So when someone would dig, that company would lay their fiber and the city would lay their fiber. Everyone's laying fiber. Everyone's getting laid with fiber. All right, that was terrible. Sorry. But anyway, they did it in a creative way they did it in a successful way they took the slow approach that would not have any excess upfront costs they remain steady and efficient and if you want to read more about that it's on ilsr.org or you can google santa monica city net fiber pretty obvious right they did that back in 2014 it's really a fun report to read if you're into this stuff now let's look at another case study I know we're pretty far into this. This is why I made it a three-part series. So there's also the partial deployment that the city can be involved in. So when I say partial, usually it's a public-private partnership. So with that, a PPP, public-private partnership, that the city supports and endorses. But the private partner will be the one doing the heavy lifting and running the business. But the city has to play their part. The city can, says, just... I said, you shall do it. So it shall be done. They have to make it easy for the partner to do this. They actually have to pave the way. You get it? So they have to work with the partner. So if they're going to partner with somebody, one, you're taking a risk because you're picking a favorite. The city's going to pick a favorite. But the partner probably could win it through an RFP, an RFQ. The, The partner could just partner with the city because they said they'd do it and there'd be no cost to the city. But the city has to make it easy for them to do it with the permitting process. And I'm not saying they have to give away permitting for free. But what I am saying, they have to work with the partner to make it cost effective everywhere and also to make it easy and perhaps even provide the assets that are needed. Listen, ISPs are everywhere. Not all of them look good. But many of them provide broadband to the home or the local business. They often are rooted in the community. So a lot of local ISPs would make great partners because you're working with someone who is in the community, someone who they love. So I can bring up a couple examples of this locally here. In York, Pennsylvania, where I currently live, there's an organization called Crispus Attucks Association, and they sponsored an initiative to connect local schools and wireless broadband. Now, this was was literally 15 to 20 years ago. It's around 15 years ago, I think. So when they did it, they were going to replace fiber was so expensive back then nobody could run it t ones were becoming quickly obsolete and DSL was your only option. So what they did, they decided to build a wireless network. Now, Crispus Addicts Association is a um, nonprofit and they took the lead to deploy broadband to all the schools and the libraries. And you know what that was I say it's over 10 years ago, I think it was closer to 15. But Gigabit was not even a thought back then, and the fact that schools could get 10 megabits per second was amazing because a lot of schools still had dial-up. You heard me dial-up, and a T1 was getting choked, so this was a way for them to alleviate a lot of their costs. So you could get fiber run to a tower, and from the tower you could connect all these schools. Or you could do it with microwave broadband to wherever there was fiber. That was a deal. Another example of this is Westminster, Maryland. That's an example of how the community knew they needed to do something to attract the people from the cities of D.C. and Baltimore. Listen, Westminster's a nice area, but there's no major road, major road, no major highway that connects it. No major, I'm sorry. There is no major highway that connects it to the bigger cities like D.C. and Baltimore, but it's close. So what they do, what they did, they hooked up with Ting, T-I-N-G. And if you want to see them, it's Ting.com, T-I-N-G.com. And if you want to Google it, just look next Ting Town, Westminster, M D, Westminster, Maryland. They were a smaller IP that was eager to roll out in the city. They did fibers and int- they looked at the fibers infrastructure, like building a bridge. And they they were working with the city to get assets. And the city basically let them use the assets, but Ting managed the infrastructure, like the customer service, the sales. So they worked together to make this thing happen. So it was pretty impressive that Ting was willing to take that on. I mean, it really did make a difference here. The city didn't want to deal with the day-to-day business, but Ting did, Ting's willing to do it. So let's look at South Portland, Maine. South Portland laid out 150 grand up front to build fiber, and they chose GWI, GWI.net, if you want to learn about them, to build it. GWI will build it and run it and give 5% of the revenue back to the city. Everyone makes money. Everyone's happy. Cleveland, Ohio, decided to work with a nonprofit called One Community, onecommunity.org. One is spelled out, O-N-E, okay, onecommunity.org. And they rolled out the network. They're continuing to expand into other communities Communities to increase the reach of broadband across Ohio. So there's another one. Uh, now, let's look at the third one. Now, I told you this was long. This is why I made it a three part series, but there's a facilitator. This is where the city just supports the rollout. They offer some rules and regulations to make it really easy for people to roll out fiber. For instance, in East Lansing, Michigan, they created the Gigabit Ready Project, and they did that with Michigan State University, which is why they have a, I think you have Spartan, is it Spartan Internet out there? Spartan something. Um, But basically, they rolled out Internet out there. If you don't know, Michigan State, their mascots is Spartan, Michigan State Spartans, Okay. And by the way, Michigan State just beat Penn State <laughs> right after I recorded this. A lot of Penn State fans here in Pennsylvania. Sorry. But anyways, uh, Michigan State and the city of East Lansing partnered together, and they got everything rolling out, and they looked at the LEED program and thought, look at the lead program and what they're doing for architecture and for building. Let's do that with gigabit internet. Let's do it for gigabit access. So... This created the Gigabit Certified Building Program in East Lansing, and it set guidelines and requirements that they put in writing, and I have it in there. It's um, uh, I, I have a link in there. It's statenews.com, but you could probably Google MSU Lansing on track for high-speed internet. If you Google that, chances are you'll come up with uh, the same article I found, and yeah. what they did uh, oh, it was Spartanet. That's what it was. So they created Spartanet. Spartanet took off. Now they have broadband access all across East Lansing, and they're expanding beyond East Lansing. The other thing was Louisville, Kentucky. So Louisville, Kentucky worked with Louisville Fiber to create a website that allowed people to request gigabit service across Louisville. Now, why did they do that? That's because the lawmakers needed to see that it was a that 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 the locals wanted the service. It wasn't just there to say, "Yeah, we'll do it." It was there to see, "Wow, like a 1,000 people in this one area want gigabit service." So that's what they did. So the the heaviest concentration is where Louisville Fiber concentrated when putting fiber out. It's really smart. So now they have Louisville has 20-year franchise agreements and they have it with BGN Networks, with SciFi, with FiberTech, they have with a lot of people. That's going to help Louisville to be the chosen potential They were hoping Google Fiber City, which now means very little. But anyway, the point is they're doing this, they're rolling it out, and they're making it happen. College Station Texas took a different approach. They put out an RFP to test the markets. Now, personally, I hate when people just put out RFPs to test the markets because I spend a lot of hours and there's no gain at the end. But you know what? The people that do the RFPs, they don't care. They put in a lot of hours and they get a lot of data and information. Well, Suddenlink responded by promising to put in a $250 million upgrade in their network, which would make it gigabit capable. So here the city, by just putting out the RFP, basically stating they don't want to spend a dime, Suddenlink, an incumbent, was willing to spend $250 million in upgrading their network to make it gigabit capable. And again, I have the uh, article in there if you want to see it at wadeforwireless.com, or you can Google gigabit speed internet soon to be offered in BCS. Sudlink got scared of having the government compete, so they just said, we'll do it. They promised to upgrade it, and you know what? Everyone's happier, and I'm assuming they did it. So College Station, by putting out the RFP, motivated Sudlink to take action. In North Carolina, they have the North Carolina Next Generation Network, the NCNGN. Which formed a group, which uh, basically was a group of universities and cities that got together and decided to come up with a think tank, a think tank to deploy broadband across their areas, which is brilliant. So what happened? They were going to do something. I don't know if they were, but they looked at doing something themselves. They were a large group with deep resources and knowledges, and who saw this as an opportunity? AT&T. AT&T moved in and started deploying fiber with them. And not to be left behind, Frontier Communications said, you know what, we're going to deploy fiber too. And they started doing it. Finally, you had RST Fiber who also did it. Now you have all these fiber companies doing it. So it's pretty amazing. Connecticut also did something very similar to that where they got 46 communities together. They want to be the first gigabit state. Connecticut could probably do that. All right. That's the end of part one, to be continued. I told you it was long, for heaven's sakes. We're over a half hour in. So all you people out there, be smart, be safe, and pay attention. That's how you learn. God bless. See ya. Folks, it's available, the 5G Deployment Plan. That's right, the 5G Deployment Plan Handbook. I have the ebook out there for you, an Amazon paperback, a full-color 8.5 by 11-inch version, the Amazon Kindle version, the full PDF on CellFi, and the full PDF on Gumroad. It's all about the 5G deployment. Go to Wade4Wireless.com and look for 5G Deployment Plan. It's in there just for you. Don't forget, you have the Wireless Deployment Handbook out there. That's right, at WadeForWireless.com. You have the Wireless Deployment Handbook that is on sale now, and now it's available in paperback on Amazon. Can you believe it? Wireless Deployment Handbook, available on Amazon in Kindle version and paperback, and also available in PDF. Go ahead, check it out. WadeForWireless.com.